Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Hey, good morning, Trailside Church. Pastor Sean here, man. It's so good to be with you in your living rooms or on your phones or wherever you are in the world right now. I know we have some folks who are even at the beach hanging out with us, uh, and it's just good to be with you this morning. I can't wait for this season of COVID and all of this stuff to be over so we can be back together with you uh, in just a few weeks. Uh, hey, good news on that front, actually. We uh, have sat down. Um, if you got a chance to take our survey last week, uh, we went ahead and um, sat with the pastors and kind of just really um, walked through all the questions and your answers and your concerns. And we've decided uh, that right now, as it stands, we're going to reopen our first live service is going to be June 7th. Uh, 2020, back at 6711 State Park Road. We're so excited uh, to be back and just to see some of you guys, but I wanna encourage you as well. Um, we're still gonna have live stream available. We're still gonna make sure that that occurs. And so um, for you, if if you're not quite ready to come back, we, I know that on the survey, some, some folks said, we're gonna wait a few weeks. Hey, we're gonna stay at home for a few weeks until we kind of see how everything pans out. Totally fine. Uh, we totally understand. Please know that that's okay um, and that there's no guilt with any of that. So. Uh, we're excited to, to share that moment with you. I'll give some updates kind of as time goes on, um, just to kind of clarify in case, you know, we need to shift a little bit here, there, but right now we're planning on June 7th coming back and we're going to start off with our dry bones series. Uh, it's a study in Ezekiel. It's about bringing life back to what was dead. And uh, so I think it's a great opportunity for us to do that. I think it's a great chance um, for us to really dive into scripture that is applicable to where we are. And as we just begin picking this thing back up, what does it look like for the church to be alive, especially after this series that we've been doing called Unstoppable? Hey, I'm going to pray. We're going to dive in today. And I'm so, uh, so excited you're here. So if you will pray with me real quick and we'll get started. Jesus, thank you because you're good. Uh, you're in control, Lord. We, we give everything to you. We know and trust you. Uh, that you are uh, for us, God, that you love us, you care for us, and that um, your steadfast love, God, that, that is just my favorite term, um, my, my favorite description of you is that you're steadfast uh, in your love and your care, uh, and that that will carry us to everywhere we need to be. Lord, I thank you for our church. I thank you for um, the folks who are um, beginning to hear about our church, um, that this COVID deal has allowed them to hear more about who we are and what we do hear our hearts for ministry and for you. And I pray that as we get ready uh, and prepare to come back into some, some semblance of normalcy, God, that you would bless it, that you would allow our church to be this light, um, this incredible uh, place of hope for people uh, as they are trying to find something to stand on. So we thank you for that, God. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you, love you, and care for you, and ask that you would bless us and take care of us. Uh, especially as we dive into your word today. So Father, help it reveal our hearts, reveal things in us that need to go away, that need to be taken from us, and instead replace it with your goodness, your grace, your provision, your care, your comfort uh, as we dive in this morning. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are God and we are not, and that because of that, we can trust you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, so if you've been with us the last few weeks, uh, we've been going through this series called Unstoppable. It's kind of wild that we were able to go through this when everything has been shut down. Uh, but it's been a study on the first half of Acts. And so we've just got a few weeks left. Um, we're going to do an Unstoppable Part 2 later in the year, uh, which I'm pretty pumped about as we finish out Acts. But uh, we've been talking about what it means to be an unstoppable church. 
that as we know, um, Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church, not to capital C church, okay? That, that means the entire global church. That doesn't just mean that um, one church is not gonna close or shut down because God is not gonna allow that. It, what it means is that nothing can prevail against the kingdom of God. And so what we wanna do as a church, as a lower C church, is we want to find out how we can be unstoppable. We're going to find out what we can do and how we can seek Jesus really well, how we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow and to do these incredible, miraculous things that people would, would hear of the good deeds and hear of the way that we love and hear of the way that we serve each other. And that would draw them in to hearing the gospel and that they would be saved, that we have baptized dozens and hundreds of people. And as we've read through these last few weeks, we've actually seen the movement of the Holy Spirit in the church when the church began to really become unstoppable, right? Uh, Jesus only really poured into 12 people. One of those got mad and rebelled against him. And then as he comes back, the Holy Spirit comes, the third person in the Trinity comes upon the disciples. And man, it just absolutely blows the doors off the church. And so we've seen this unbelievable growth, 3,000 people at Pentecost, and then, and then 5,000 more. And remember, like some of this is just men, so we gotta include the women and children. So bajillions of people, that's a real number, if you're wondering, bajillions. Um, and, then, and then scripture just continues, it says more and more and more and more were added to their number daily. And I wanna, I wanna caution this real quick, because I know when you hear that in American church, we think of, um, like numbers and more people because more people equals more money and more money equals more comfort. That's not at all what this is about. Instead, what it's about is that we are seeing more and more people be brought into the kingdom of God and that their eternities are changed. And as eternities change, what happens here on earth shifts because we change what we care about. Because when our focus is on the eternal, then the things of this earth don't matter quite, much as, more, quite as much. And so we shift the things we care about and as we walk through in Acts this morning, uh, we're gonna see some of that shift. And I'm, I'm gonna be honest, it's a challenging message. It's a challenging story because what we're talking about is, is this idea of giving, of being one as a church, of being unstoppable and how the disciples in the first century church actually saw that and how it changed them. And so uh, head to Acts four with me. Uh, we're gonna be in verse 32 and we're gonna actually read kind of two sections. We're going to go 32 through the end, and then we're going to very quickly cover the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, that's, going to be, uh, that's going to be in chapter five. So um, let me read with you, starting in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means a son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, so here's what we see in the first century church, right? And if you remember last week, we had just talked about um, th this boldness that believers had and that Peter had preached and they were emboldened by the Holy Spirit and they began sharing their story and their testimony and the church continued to grow. And again, I'm gonna encourage you, 
share your story. Please share your story. We would love to hear your story. Let us help you share your story. But as we do that, what we see is that the church begins to be emboldened together and then they begin to be united together. And, and it says, uh, I'm going to start back at verse 32. It says, now the full number of those who believe, now all of the people, all of the church in that time of the ones who believed were of one heart and one soul. They, they were united. They were together, right? That's what we talk about being united in one heart. Our heart is the same. I think when you go around the room um, at, at our church and with our staff, you'll see the heart of the people is the same. Of, of our, We want to love Jesus really well. We want to serve other people really well. And we want to live in community really well. That's what our, our heart is. That's what it's about because we want you to experience Jesus in a deep, deep way that changes your life and that changes your eternity. And so that's kind of what we're getting at. The people are so united. They're so together that they're, they're like a school of fish just moving in the same direction at the same time. It's effortless what's happening. And it says, they're of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, here's kind of the idea behind that. Um, these guys would have known Deuteronomy uh, in the law. And there's a, a verse in Deuteronomy 15 uh, verse four, that, that this is what it says. And again, this is the law, right? So it says, but there will be no poor among you and the Lord will, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. And so uh, the kind of idea and thought there is that they had that mentality in mind that when the church comes together and that there is no one poor, no one in need, that God would bless them and they would be able to do incredible things. And so um, here's how they practiced that. Here's how they demonstrated that that as they knew boldness had to come, as they knew that this united vision would accomplish much for the glory of God, they knew that, um, that their oneness in mind and of heart and of giving, that God would bless them if they were united. And, and what happens is that Jewish groups at the time would take that verse in Deuteronomy, and, and this is a mainly Jewish group, and, and they they kind of attributed their um, levels of spiritual oneness by how they were treating each other. Not, not as good works being a demonstrator of how much you love Jesus, but of them being a, a picture of what it means because of what is in your heart, what's overflowing out of you. And so for the Jewish people, it would be natural for them to be giving and caring and bold in how they love people to demonstrate, a, a, a natural demonstration rather, of who their hearts and their lives belong to. And so the people at this time uh, would see that and they would live that way. And in fact, uh, in this time in Palestine, the, the entire economic everything was kind of deteriorating. Um, remember just a few years after this, the destruction of the temple happens and there's ca Babylonian captivity. Like it's kind of a mess for a little while. Um, <clears throat> and so what's going on for these people, what they're seeing is they're seeing famine they're seeing this political unrest, and they're also seeing limited employment because a, a ton of the people had gone um, and, and left their fishing and their farming to come into the city to be a part of the bustling city, and now they're stuck in the city with very little opportunity. And so what the first century church finds himself in is kind of this um, parallel universe of what we're experiencing. It's where a lot of things are shutting down. There's a lot of political unrest. Uh, famine is being threatened. It's hard to get provision. It's hard to get what you need. Um, and so because of that, people are scared. Um, and, and people had left, you know, what they knew and what they were able to do for this promise of the city. But then everything kind of 
shut down. Maybe that sounds familiar to some of you. Um, I don't know. It's almost like we're experiencing something like that now. So here's what they do. Here's their response. It says in verse 32, it says that they, none of them said any of the things that belonged to them was their own, but they had everything in common. What would that take for us? Like, what would it take for us to actually view our things that way, right? I have a friend who's incredible about that. He just is kind of will give anything. Um, in fact, a few years ago, he told a funny story because uh, he was, he lived pretty minimal and he was driving this like little tiny brown truck and he lived in Atlanta and um, he picked up a guy on the side of the road, which I'm not going to recommend that you guys do that right off the rip, but he's a little out there. So um, he just loves Jesus a lot. So he picked up this guy on the side of the road and he began talking to him. And he was like, hey, man, what's your name? You know, they exchange pleasantries. Where are you going? Where can I take you? And uh, the guy's like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to get back to my house. I just got none working and I'm trying to save up for a car. And I, I kid you not, it's the craziest thing. He, he looked at him. He goes, you need a car? And the guy goes, yeah, well, I'm saving up for one. Um, you know, I just got out of prison. I'm trying to get my life together and um, working hard to get my family back. And I just need a car to <clears throat> get back and forth. And he goes, oh, um, just let me uh, go ahead and I'm going to take you to my house and you can just, you can keep this. And the guy looked at him and he was like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, yeah, I, I don't need it. He, you know, my wife's got a car. Like, it's cool. I'm a pastor in town. I can get around. I got a bike. I just kind of had this car to make my life a little easier. He goes, just take me to my house and uh, I'll, the title's at my house. I'll sign it over and you can take the car. And he literally just gave this car to a guy. <laughs> Crazy, right? It sounds nuts because that's so beyond what we're taught. But he did. He just gave his little truck to this guy and he went on his way. And I have no idea what happened. I don't know if that guy knows Jesus or knew Jesus. <clears throat> but I know that that's a really incredible response for what happens when we see people in times of need. And that's that community, and that oneness that we see in the church, in the early church that we want to see here. Verse 33 continues. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony. Again, we get back to sharing your story. The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. I imagine now, I'm, again, I'm not saying this is here, but I imagine that when you start doing crazy things like giving trucks away to people, that you're going to get questions, right? Like, why would you do that? Hey, why would you, why would you give your money to a church? Hey, why would you go and buy that guy's groceries? See, those questions are natural, but they're also beautiful opportunities to share your story, to talk about the goodness of God. And so I imagine what I read here, what makes sense to me is that as the apostles were giving all of this stuff away, were selling their homes and their property and giving the people in need as the world, as culture, saw them doing these incredible things and being so giving and caring and generous that they probably got questions and their answer wasn't, hey, you know, I just wanted to look really good or feel really good. No, their answer was to then give testimonies of how good God is. It says, with great power, they were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
See, we don't, we don't give and do incredible things. Like our goal with it as a church is not to get money to build, build a big building and to sit really comfortably. It's so that when people see how we love the things we're able to do for our city and they say, why in the world would you do that? We can say, let me tell you why. Because there is a man named Jesus who is God who came down died on a cross, was resurrected from the dead and did so, so that you would have a place with me in eternity. And he has given us the Holy Spirit and he is calling us to do these outlandish things, to love people in ways that don't make sense on this earth, if this earth is our treasure, so that he would be glorified. And when people hear those stories and they hear these testimonies, what happens is the gospel begins to change lives and it regenerates hearts and people become saved. And as more and more and more people become saved, the reach of the church becomes greater. And as the church reach becomes greater, they become unstoppable. And eventually what you see is a movement, which is where we're trying to get. A, a place where well, I talk about this often, where we can see families restored, where we can put a brand new playground in the park where parents would then spend time with their children, where, where things like that occur and change the culture of our city, where the meth labs that are all throughout our area, north of our area especially, shut down, not because police come or because um, something bad happens and a building blows up. No, that they shut down because the gospel of Jesus impacts families. And that he, the Holy Spirit comes into their lives and he shuts those things down. And that we don't have to be excited about the fact that cops came and busted, but we can be excited because we can hear people's testimonies of how the Holy Spirit came into their lives, changed their hearts. And now that their legacy is eternal and something different. That's the kind of amazing power we can experience as a church. That's what I believe can happen. <clears throat> and so we're, we see that as they tell their stories, as they share their testimonies. Continuing in verse 34, there was not a needy person among them for as many were owners of lands or houses. They sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, here's, here's the deal. Great power comes from great community. In fact, in John 13, Jesus says, all men will know you are, you are my disciples by how you love one another, by, by the things you do. Like they'll know we love Jesus by how we treat each other and speak to each other and care for each other. But these stories of people like selling their homes and their land and just giving it all to the church, I, I want you to know um, that that's not a place of guilt and judgment. These are extraordinary measures that we're taking for extraordinary times of need. Now, I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm not telling you that that's bad. What I'm saying is that I don't want selling your home and giving everything away to the apostles of the church to be your measuring stick. That's not what, that's not what I'm trying to say. In fact, um, if you go and study the, the Greek here, it talks about that this is a time-to-time -time response. It was in moments of great need that this extra huge amount of extreme uh, generosity would occur. But I think what we can learn is that there is a place to regularly give and care as we can. Like that level of giving is rare, but giving in itself should not be for us because we have so much. And so what we practice at our church and what we encourage you to practice is a biblical tithe and tithe means 10th. And that's when we get 10%. Um, but, but there's, it's such a, such a hard place, right? Because 
Um, churches in the South especially are known as like, hey, we just want money and we want stuff. And that's stupid. Um, that's not what we're about. And if you've come to our church, I think you've probably experienced that and you know that. Um, but the reason that we want you to give is not that we want you. It's because that God says to. Because when we are generous, like when we are in community together, when we are all giving together, we can see incredible things happen. And so a lot of times um, it, it goes to one of two extremes, right? The Pharisees, in, in fact, Jesus kind of made fun of these guys. They would take all of their grain and they would take it down to the absolute tiniest grain. Imagine sa- pieces of sand they would count out and they would make 10%. And then they would blow trumpets as they brought their offering in. They would want everyone to look at them and be blown away by how great they are. And they, they love Jesus so, or they love God so much that they would give exactly the fullness of what they said. And what does Jesus say about those guys? Like they've received their reward in full because they're missing the heart of giving. And on the other side, a lot of times we get into what Andy Stanley actually calls a practice of tipping God. We don't give first fruits. We just kind of do all the things we want to. We see what's left and we're like, okay, I'm going to give some um, and kind of go, okay, that's enough. Well, uh, listen, uh, I want to encourage you that there's two things that happen there. One, I want to train you well. Um, so that you understand like what that actually should look like. And two, I don't want to put in guilt on you for that. Like, I, I want you to hear that um, I, I, God doesn't want us to give and to be close-handed and firm about it and angry about it. And so Andy Stanley says, you know, we don't, we don't just tip God. We don't say like, hey, here's enough of what's left. But instead, what it does is it actually demonstrates that we are for God, we trust God, we are with God in our finances and our time. And, you know, giving is, um, is money, it's treasure, it's talent, it's time. So we give all of those things to God. I don't, I don't think we should just give one. I think we give all of those things to God. Um, but what it does is it reminds us of where all that comes from. And it says, God, you're in control of this. And it also shows this form of selflessness that is so important in community that we see in, this, in the early church. Where they say, listen, I've got this stuff, but I would rather it go to be given to people who need it. Now, that doesn't mean that they said, hey, uh, take everything you have, give everything you have, live poor, and then go, well, I'm a Christian. And that is all, honestly popular as well in thought. There are people who say like, well, I'm supposed to just live in poverty because my uh, hope is in eternity and that's where my treasure is. And I think anytime we swing the pendulum one way or the other, we probably need to find the medium in that. And the medium is not that. The medium is that you still are called to live and have wisdom and take care of your family and the people around you and save up for rainy days. But, but that we should have hearts of giving back because it reminds us who's actually in charge. And so my, my quick aside here is that um, I, I would encourage you practice your 10% giving. Um, practice that. Like take, take the top end, and I'm not going to get into the pre-tax, post-tax. That's whatever. That's, that's silliness. I'm not going to get that hard into this because that's stupid. But, but take that first fruit of what you have and give it to God. Let's be like the first church because we can be unstoppable when our heart and our attitude is that God owns everything anyways. And so... Let's not make it weird. That's my encouragement. In fact, Matthew 6 says not to make it weird. Jesus is speaking. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Like we don't have to walk in and say, I feel really good or I feel really bad because of how I give. In fact, I never hear this from your pastor. I never 
want you, church, to give out of obligation or guilt. Because I don't think God is about that. In fact, I think he's the opposite of that. I think grace is not an obligation. I think salvation is not out of guilt. It's actually the other side. It's freedom from guilt. And so um, I, I don't think God wants you to give and to serve or whatever out of obligation. In fact, he says that he likes cheerful giving. Like that we should give because of the grace of what God has done. Now, listen, I, I, I'm going to go off track here. That's okay. I, I've been in ministry for a long time um, as far as my lifespan goes. And there were days I used to, I didn't give where I worked. And it was because I used to tell myself that what I was doing was enough. Like I'm sacrificing my time. You know, I could go be doing sales or something and make more money. But what I realized is that gave me a tighter grip on control and that caused more anxiety in my life. And when I began giving freely of what I had, what God gave me, it's amazing the attitude shift and change because when I had things given to me, it was a point of grace and thankfulness. And it's a beautiful, beautiful way to live. I just, I, my hope as your pastor, my goal is to encourage you and lead you into your best spiritual life. And so I wanna do that and hear this. I know money is always a tough thing to talk about at church, but hear this. If you want freedom from, from feeling anxiety in your finances, then give. I know that sounds antithetical, give. And we'll get to some of those promises here in a minute. Um, but re remember, remember that when our joy is in the cross and in Christ, that giving will become this natural thing. And that when that happens, we'll have such freedom in our hearts from everything this world tells you that you need. And we're gonna see an example, two examples real quick as we get ready to wrap up uh, of extreme generosity and then the absolute wrong attitude as well. <clears throat> but verse 36, thus Joseph, who's also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Man, I want my name to mean that. I think that's awesome. My name means God's gift. And if you don't believe me, my mom has it um, in a little sewn up on her, uh, in a frame on her house. So we can go see that. Kathy, take a picture, send it to everybody. Um, but anyways, no, but Barnabas' name means the son of encouragement, which is just, uh, there's a whole other thing there. This is a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, Barnabas um, is an important figure in Luke's account, and he regularly appears as this kind of, hinge between uh, the Jews and the Gentiles and kind of bringing them together. And in fact, it's interesting because as a Levite, he couldn't actually own land, um, but apparently that's something that wasn't really kept too hardcore. Uh, but anyways, um, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't actually own land, but as he sold it and he gave, he gave it to the apostles, we see this incredible picture of his extreme generosity. And I'm like, man, that's a great example but what about if we don't have a lot? Glad you asked. In Luke 21, one of my mom's favorite stories, Jesus tells this parable of this, this widow who's poor, who has nothing. She goes to church and goes to worship and she puts two small copper coins in the plate as it passes by. And it says Jesus is blown away by her generosity. Blown away. Now, two copper coins is worth nothing. It'd be like you or I putting 20 cents in the, in the thing as it passes by on the plate. And yet Jesus says, man, she, she's given more than anyone else here. Because it's not about the amount that we give. It's about the heart in the giving. 
about the sincerity of what we do. And as we see this unstoppable church in the first century, uh, I, we, we read the story of Barnabas, yes, but, but Luke is also going to share this next story with us in chapter 5. Because church, it's not about a dollar amount of how much you give. Listen, you will never be treated differently at our church. Okay, I, I'm speaking for Trailside. I can't speak for every church, but you will never be treated differently at Trailside based on a number of dollars that you give ever. That will never happen. You have that word for me because that's not what God cares about. God cares about the heart behind that, right? That's what we just read. And we're going to see an example of that as Barnabas goes and he sells this land and he lays all the money at the apostles' feet to be given to the church so that they can continue to be this unstoppable force. We read next about Ananias and Sapphira. Now, here's what you don't know. The name Sapphira in itself was actually a name only given to a certain cast of people. Sapphira, Sapphire, you can kind of see the value there. And so even in her name, she was known to have much. But in a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the sale of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, at this point, I want you to hear there's nothing wrong with what they did as far as selling it and not giving every bit. In fact, there was no necessary way of saying like, you have to sell, you have to give everything. But what happened, and if you go back and actually read the Greek, um, when it says that they decided to set some for themselves, it's nosfizo is the word, okay? It's spelled just like it looks. And it means to put a self, I'm sorry, to put aside for oneself or to keep back in a secret and dishonest way. And so what they did was they nosfizoed themselves and they said, hey, we're gonna sell this land and we're gonna give them all this money and we're gonna keep some just as kind of a sh secret between us. But, but we're gonna look like we did this incredible thing. <coughs> Excuse me. It's used one other time, actually, in Scripture, that same attitude. And that's in the Septuagint and Joshua with the story of Achan, who um, received a death sentence because as they went and um, got some spoils that were meant for God, he held some back. He actually took some and stole and kept it. And it says he was struck dead. And so let's read. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain yours? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? So why is it you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last and great fear came upon all who heard it. Yeah, the young man rose, wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. So in the culture, you buried right away. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. So he's been missing for three hours. She comes in looking for him. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yeah, so much. And Peter said, how is that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. And now they're going to carry you out. Immediately she fell down on his feet, breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the church. Now, listen, here's what's key to that, okay? What they did, it, it's, it gets back to the heart of giving, guys. It's not about amount. It's not about how much. It's about what, the, what it says in our hearts, about what we believe God to be. Their problem was deception. The, the, what they did was they lied. They wanted honor without the sacrifice. And I, again, um, I don't think, hopefully God's not going to strike any of us dead, because I know I haven't given and served and cared for the church like I need to all the time, but... 
um, guilt-laden giving is, is not a biblical response. Like God doesn't want you to feel obligated to be part of an unstoppable church. There is no pointing of fingers and pressing of thumbs. And I think that's something the church has gotten wrong for so long that, that we give because of he, how much he's given us. And the unstoppable church is a church that comes together, that has things in common, that is able to give and, and distribute to the needy, to the hurt, that is able to do things like build playgrounds, that is able to do things like give small loans to businesses or gifts even to help them start up to change our families. Like that's what the church can be and should be when it becomes unstoppable. Because God does not want guilt-laden giving. He doesn't want obligation. But the question would arise, why in the world would disciples give like this? Like what benefits would you have? And so we'll close with this. Actually, if you go to 2 Corinthians 9, um, we're gonna see uh, actually a really cool picture of what why we give and what we get out of it. Um, what God does with it in our own lives, in our own hearts. The first is this, six things that generous giving, that being an unstoppable generous giver to the church results in. The first is this, that giving generously motivates others to also give generously. Verse, verse two in chapter nine of Second Corinthians says, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, your zeal has stirred them up to give as well. So cool. I, I used to love listening to Dave Ramsey. If you guys don't know him, he's a Christian debt counselor who has a, a show online on the radio and online. Um, but he has this, the end of his show every, like the last hour or 30 minutes of his show does this thing where he takes people's calls and they go, I'm debt free. Like I put into practice the things that you said, now I'm debt free. And I used to listen with Lane and go, man, I, I want to make that phone call so bad and say, I, I still have a mortgage, but I don't have any debt. And so I can give, I can, I can go on vacation. I can do all these things without guilt. And I used to sit there and think like, man, that's such a good celebration because if they do it, we can do it too. And we actually did for a while um, until we had kids. And as you know, kids end up at the hospital with medical bills and they eat tons of food. Um, but, but we look forward to making that call again. But that's what happens. We give generously and motivates others to give as well. Continue, continue this, um, that God blesses us when we give. Sometimes it's financial, but listen, this is not a get rich quick scheme. Jesus is not a get rich quick scheme. Sometimes it's financial, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's other incredible things that happen. Verse six says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Again, that's a heart measure. That's not a financial number measure. If you're struggling, if you're fearful about money, I wanna encourage you, give. If you're fearful about relationship and about vulnerability, I want to encourage you, open up. Go next door and shake your neighbor's hand or, or fist bump maybe right now. But that's what happens that God blesses us when we give. Verse seven, I've kind of already talked about this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Give cheerfully. Only. Don't give with obligation. We don't want you to give. God doesn't want you to give with obligation. He says it right here. Give cheerfully knowing that the church is unstoppable and that you're part of it. Number four is in verse eight. It says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every work. That God will meet your needs. 
and will give you plenty left over to share. You will have abundance in ways you never knew of abundance. And I don't mean, again, just financially, that God will take care of your needs. That generosity breeds generosity. And as that breeds more opportunity to become more generous, it breeds even more generosity. And and the goal of of being generous and being an unstoppable church in our generosity and how we give, because that's our desire is to, for the church to give and to care for people who have needs and just blow their doors off and then point them toward the gospel of Jesus. As, As we do that, it's not so that we can get more stuff. It's so that God can bless us and give us more to then give more. Some of the most generous people I know are not the richest people I know, but man, they are encouraging and they are incredible people and God continues to bless them and they continue to give and support and care for people. It's amazing. Verse five, I'm sorry, verse 10, excuse me. Second Corinthians nine says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Like God will consistently give you more and heart and care. And again, I want to, just because I know it's real easy to have defenses. I'm not talking about a dollar amount. I'm talking about a heart. And the last is this, that your generosity will bless others and they will give glory to God. The whole point of being a generous church, the whole point of being unstoppable is not so we have stuff, it's so that people will give glory to God, that they will come and hear his word and that their eternities will be changed as they give their lives to Christ and that we will baptize them and celebrate with them because as the kingdom grows and as the table gets larger, God's kingdom and will is fulfilled and then he will come back in glory to judge the living and the dead and we'll be with him in eternity. That's one reason why we give. Let me read this to you in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in the many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God, because of the surpassing grace of God, may it be upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. See, here's what happens when we give. It causes other people to meet Jesus. That as we give, we're able to do so much more in caring for people and loving people and becoming unstoppable and not just putting screens in a building and not putting paint on walls, but meeting needs of our city paying off medical debt. I can't tell you how badly I want to be a church that can call up and pay off millions of medical debt. I just, you know what? We don't have to put our name on it. I'd actually not like to be on the news. I just want to do it. To buy a playground for a park so that families can go and have fun and enjoy their time. I just want to do it. But that's what generosity, that's what the unstoppable church does. Church, I love you. I love you. It's an honor being your pastor. My prayer is that we will become a generous congregation, that we will see lives change and that we will celebrate. And when we get to celebrate these moments of salvation, when we get to see people be baptized at our church, that one of the ways when we ask what happened, that they'll say, I I saw the way this church loved people. 
I saw the way this church served. I saw the way this church gave. I saw the way that this body of normal people came together. And through that, Jesus changed my life. Church, let's be unstoppable. I love you. I'll see you in 20 minutes on Facebook and Instagram Live. The questions will be up on the screen. And I can't wait, can't wait to see you very soon. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to be generous, the opportunity to be unstoppable. Thank you for the opportunity to be used by you to see the world change. And Lord, I pray that you would honor our hearts to do that here in our small city of Traveler's Rest, our town, and in our city of Greenville. That Trailside would be a place of hope, that we would become generous so that we can see your kingdom come, that we can meet physical needs, that we could take what you give, what you've given to us, give back so that we can see the church meet needs of people. So that when people need help to get through a month because they can't pay a light bill, when they need food on the table, when they need a place of safety, God, that we can provide those things and that as we provide those things, they would hear about your goodness and grace and that their lives would be changed because there is nothing that can match eternity and you're over all of it. Father, we love you. We thank you for your truth, for your goodness, your grace. We thank you for the unstoppable church in Acts. And we pray that God, you would embolden our people and our own hearts to be generous in giving financially, but also in our time and our conversation that we would be overly generous in, in how we treat others, how we love people, how we give what we have so that you would be made famous. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for our city. God, we pray for all those churches that are now considering how to open well and ask that you would allow us to be a beacon of hope for Traveler's Rest. We love you. We thank you. To your name we pray. Amen. Church, have an incredible Sunday. I love you. I can't wait to see you. And uh, please join us on the Trailside page on Facebook Live and Instagram in 20 minutes. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening and we can't wait to see you again soon.